I'm pretty sure that one of the worst things one can do in a marriage is eat the other person's leftovers. It really should be in the vows, shouldn't it? For richer, for poorer, leaving your pod tie untouched in the fridge, in sickness, and in health. I'm not claiming that it's justified. I don't like it when it happens to me, but that certainly doesn't make it appropriate. Why is it, though, that we get so upset about this? Because I heard some of you tittering. I know that that's, that's been your experience as well. Why is it that when we experience a good meal, we feel like it's our right to have it all over again, even to the point of keeping it from the person that we have chosen to share our lives with? After all, leftovers can be nourishing. They can provide a whole other meal to someone else. The Syrophoenician woman in our gospel text this morning knew that. And she challenged the ownership of the leftovers of the chosen people. Our scriptures this morning speak to people with hearts paralyzed by fear. Fear of not having what they need. Some were people in exile in our Old Testament text, hoping, hoping against hope in their fight or flight worlds that they might get deliverance. Others were folk who were tempted to cater to the rich and powerful that came into their midst, ignoring the neediest among them. Some were blind and deaf, literally others just blind and deaf to the word of God, awaiting healing. And others were in opposition about whether or not those on the outside would get even crumbs from the table in their midst. The Syrophoenician woman's story is one of the most troubling snapshots of the life, in the life of ministry of Jesus, right? We don't often hear Jesus speaking down to someone. We find Jesus exhausted by, ministry, by his ministry, trying to find a place to hide out. The scripture says that he really doesn't want to see anyone, but people are relentless. People need healing. They're, they're desperate for it, and so he's not left alone. And one woman in particular, a mother, looking for a cure for her demon-possessed daughter, will not leave him alone. I do not blame this woman. I know that as parents, we will do anything it takes to try to get help for our children, more than we would ever ask for ourselves. Having a child is like, I heard this described as a perfect description of having a child. Having a child is like having your heart live outside of your body. And it's terrifying. Seeing one's heart running around in the world without being able to always protect or control what happens to them. Because when our children hurt, we hurt. When they suffer, we want to take it from them. We want to shoulder it for them. And so often, we cannot. This woman, her heart outside of herself, suffering, her daughter with what was described as a demon. She had been on a quest for her healing, to get some relief, to hope to have a future for her little one. And in the first century, there was all kinds of maladies that were attributed to demon possession. And we don't know if this little girl had just had epilepsy or if she really had an actual demon. We're not sure. It's hard to, it's hard to say. But for, when, in whatever, for whatever reason, she had something that was so disabling that she could not function normally. So this, this mother had 
tried to get her healing. She'd probably been to shamans and healers, doctors and charlatans, witches and rabbis. Her daughter's health was so important to her for her future. And that deep need and love brought that mama to Jesus, which is one of the most profound lessons of this scripture. If we follow our deepest needs, our deepest wounds, and our deepest love, it will lead us to Jesus. Unfortunately, when she encountered Jesus, he was not having it. He, along with the rest of the crowd, recognized her as an outsider, someone who was impure, not a member of the faithful community, not welcome there, an enemy to Israel, not to mention the fact that her daughter had a demon, which in the first century ensured her status as impure and sinful, because bad things did not happen to good people, they thought, in the first century. Scholars have different ideas about why Jesus responded to her with such harshness, so out of character is what we're usually, we normally see in his ministry. Some say that he was exhibiting his fully human side, tired from his earthly ministry and allowing it to make him cranky. Others interpret it to be that he was using hyperbole, that he was exaggerating for emphasis, as he often did, to make a point to those with an earshot who is in and who is out in the kingdom and how ridiculous it sounds. I prefer the latter, but either way, they ended up with the same results. A stubborn mama whose deepest need brought her to her knees to Jesus and finding healing there. Jesus asked with an earshot of those gathered why he should give to dogs what was meant for children. In the first century, the Jewish tradition, the colloquial term for those who belonged in the Jewish faith were the children of Israel. And those who did not belong, the Gentiles, were often called little dogs. This is where the leftovers come in. That stubborn mama suggested that she wasn't worthy to come to the table, that maybe she could simply get whatever was left over, because she believed that there was enough Jesus to go around. This is the point in the gospel where we go from reading along in peace and oblivion, to suddenly in the crosshairs of conviction. If we are reading scripture faithfully, this will happen a lot. We should not be able to read scripture and come away unscathed. Perhaps that's why Paul called it the sword of the spirit and the spiritual armor. The scripture cuts like a knife to our own tendencies of sin and scarcity. Do we believe that there is enough hope? Enough healing, enough resources, enough forgiveness, enough grace, enough love to go around for everybody? Or do we hoard and fear and stay silent, quiet and unmoving in feelings of scarcity? Do we guard our spiritual fridges filled with leftovers? even thinking that the extras belong to us as they rot? Do we believe that anyone is worthy of forgiveness and love, or do we think that there are children like us who clean up pretty nice and sit in the pews and kneel at the altar, and then there are little dogs who don't? Maybe we're tempted to just turn our judgments inward, 
Maybe we don't judge others at all. Maybe we have a problem believing that God could heal places in us that we've written off. In our own lives, in our own bodies, in our own families. Relationships that we deem to be irreparably broken. Prayers that we've prayed so often that we're sure that we're sure that they're never going to get answered. Secrets that have been held so tight that they have calcified like mummified walls, impeding our ability to connect with others, with the world, with ourselves. Jesus came and lived in a body that could experience fear and hunger and exhaustion after all that ministry of days and days and, and, and the relief of getting his dirty feet washed after walking miles in the desert. And she, he showed us how to be human. And then he showed us what it looks like to be betrayed and then murdered and face those things with hope and compassion. And then when he rose the third day, he demonstrated to us that there is not one thing that could ever separate us from God's love and hope. Can we have the courage to follow our deepest pain, our woundedness, our greatest love, and allow it to lead us to Jesus. To claim this inheritance, even if it's just crumbs. Poet Jan Richardson, who I love, wrote a beautiful prayer from the perspective of the Syrophoenician woman. It speaks to acknowledging our need and seeking Christ relentlessly from these places of woundedness and need. It's entitled Stubborn Blessing. And it reads, don't tell me no. I have seen you feed the thousands, seen miracles spill from your hands like water, like wine. Seen you with circles and circles of crowds pressed around you and not one soul turned away. Don't start with me. I am saying you can close the door, but I will keep knocking. You can go silent, but I will keep shouting. You can tighten the circle, but I will trace a bigger one around you, around the life of my child, who will tell you no one surpasses a mother for her stubbornness. I am saying I know what you can do with crumbs, and I'm claiming mine. Every morsel and scrap that you have up your sleeve, unclench your hand, your heart. Let the scraps fall like manna, like mercy for the life of my child. The life of the world. Don't you tell me now. We who hoard our leftovers barely deserve crumbs. And yet Christ invites us to sit at the table in a full place of belonging. And then invites us to bring our friends. To proclaim with our lives the good news. To dance without shame. To proclaim God's goodness. Receiving healing and wholeness to our brokenness as we follow it to the feet of Jesus. No leftovers required. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. Number 617, we come to you for healing, Lord.